Welcome to Heart Matters, a show about all aspects of heart health, brought to you in partnership with the Providence Heart Institute and Boston Scientific. The Providence Heart Institute is a leading integrated network of cardiovascular care with a focus on putting our patients at the heart of everything we do. And we are committed to making a positive difference in every life we touch. As part of that commitment, we are bringing the doctors to you. On this first episode of Heart Matters, we want to talk about who's caring for your heart. So when you go in for treatment, do you know all the people on your care team? We're here to explain the different team members that are caring for you and your heart and how they work together to make sure that you're getting the best care possible. So I'm your host, Matt Dusick, Vice President of the Providence Clinical Institutes. And joining me today is Dr. Charles Rosso. Dr. Rosso is an interventional cardiologist with Providence. He practices in Olympia, Washington. And also joining me is Susie Tellerico. Susie serves as the Chief Nursing Officer for the Providence Clinical Network. Hi folks, thanks for joining today. Hi Matt, great to be here. Great to be here, Matt. Thanks for inviting me to join. Oh, of course. So before we get started, could you tell us a little bit about yourselves and the work that you do and why this topic is important to you? And, and Susie, why don't you go first? Sure. Thanks, Matt. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the chief nursing officer for Providence Clinical Network. Um, I'm a family nurse practitioner by training and really spent the bulk of my clinical experience uh, practicing in internal medicine and vascular medicine. And, and now I serve as um, the nursing leader and clinical operations leader for all of our outpatient clinics. So our, our ambulatory care. So doctor's offices, imaging centers, and outpatient surgery centers. Well, thank you. Uh, Dr. Rosso, same thing. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here today. Um, I'm a uh, interventional cardiologist, as you mentioned, uh, here in Olympia, Washington. I'm a native of the Pacific Northwest, actually grew up in a small town just south of Olympia. Um, did all of my formative training here in Washington State at the University of Washington, uh, did medicine residency, uh, cardiology fellowship, and then worked for a brief stint at the University of Washington and, and ultimately uh, decided to move back to the South Sound. Um, we had younger kids and, and just wanted to move back closer to family. So we've been here in, in Olympia for just about three now, three years now. And, you know, in regards to the question, why cardiovascular disease, you know, it, it's something that it's been kind of a, a, a kind of a, a long course for me. I started out as a physician scientist, actually doing research, um, had of a physiology in uh, biophysics, looking at uh, cardiac ion channels, and then that led to uh, my clinical training, went back to med school and did uh, my MD. And uh, it's something that there's a huge need out there, despite all the advances that we've had over the years in, in cardiovascular medicine, it's still the leading cause of death. I think uh, if you look at the last uh, 2020 data, uh, over 700,000 deaths a year in, from cardiovascular disease. So, so something that there's a a huge need out there. Well, thanks for that. And I guess, Dr. Rosso, you and I were talking earlier about how you were recently on call. And I think that we, you know, some of us have family members who are doctors or, or, or nurses or other clinical caregivers. We certainly see on TV sometimes or in the movies that doctors are on call. What does it mean to be on call? And specifically, what does it mean to be on call if you are a cardiologist? Yeah, that's a great question. So, so we're a hospital that uh, receives um, patients from 
five county catchment area south of us. And so when we're on call, we're taking calls from the small kind of critical access hospitals in those counties that don't have uh, cardiologists on staff there. We do consults over the telephone to help them manage patients or patients that come in sicker in the setting of, say, um, acute coronary syndrome or cardiac arrest, we facilitate the transfer of those patients to our hospital. So I work with a team who's on overnight and, and we'll bring those patients in from these out, outside facilities to, uh, to treat uh, things such as heart attack or acute coronary syndrome. And so it can really vary from day to day what that call looks like. Um, but uh, typically it's uh, kind of a busier 24 hour period. We take call from seven in the morning on say uh, a Tuesday morning and we get off call at seven in the morning on Wednesday morning. And it just really varies day to day what comes through our door. And when I think of call, I think of sleepless nights. Yeah, th there are some of those and sometimes we get lucky and we, we sleep well, so. Susie, what does call look like for nursing? I mean, what, what would the equivalent be, uh, even if it may not be carrying a pager around? Uh, what does it look like for a nurse? You know, um, in the ambulatory setting, um, nurse practitioners, depending upon uh, the clinic or group, um, sometimes the nurse practitioners will actually take um, call, either um, if they rotate between uh, the hospitals and medical group, they'll take call back and forth and they'll um, partner in that with their physician uh, partners. And uh, nurses in the cath lab and in some other urgent areas in the hospital, um, they'll take call as well. So they'll be on call and you know needed to come to the cath lab in the middle of the night and so forth. Um, so they do participate. I wouldn't say it's as heavy of a, a and maybe burden's not the right word, but as a task for our, our physician partners, but um, they, they do participate in some of that as well. Got it. And I'm guessing you probably didn't start your career as an ambulatory nurse. You were probably overnight shift in a, in a critical care unit or something fun like that. Yep. I was actually an ER nurse working night shift. So yeah. uh, experienced a little bit of that, although I got to go home and sleep during the day. I think the difference is with our physicians, they you know continue and, and work also throughout the day, like almost like they've got a newborn where they haven't slept all night and have to function all day. So <laughs> my hat's off to them. That makes sense. So I'll, I'll tell you a little story about my aha moment in healthcare. It was when I had first started with Providence. I had an office in one of our major hospitals in the Portland, Oregon area, a place called St. Vincent Medical Center. And, you know, there's a coffee shop there off of the lobby. And so like most people, probably in a lot of jobs, you, you get to work, you turn on your computer, and then you go to get coffee. Well, right outside the coffee shop was an elevator. And it the elevator was color coded. This one was purple to help with directions. And right outside the elevator was the waiting room for our ICU, our intensive care unit. So that was where all where all the patients' families would be. They're waiting for their patients and their family members to come out of, of cardiac surgery, or maybe they had a heart attack, suffered some sort of trauma. So you have people sitting there waiting, and they're they're clearly having a very bad day. And the elevator actually went up to the maternity ward. So every so often, the elevator doors would open and out would come new, patient, new parents. So you've got, on one hand, you've got these people that are, that are having a very bad day. They're, they're waiting anxiously to hear about their loved ones. And walking right by them are these people that just have that, like, I'm a, I have a baby look on their face, this, this, that, that blissful new patient look. And, and that was kind of my aha moment is that you see these people that are having arguably the worst days of their lives. And then you have these people that are, that are having arguably 
the best days of their lives. And, and there's that huge spectrum, right, that we experience in healthcare of, of emotion, of experience, of humanity. So that was the moment that I really thought, this is, this is my calling. This isn't just a job. This is the job. Uh, Susie, maybe tell me about an aha moment like that that you might have had, or or when did you know that nursing was your calling? So, you know, I, I was born, I think, always wanting to be a nurse. My my grandmother was a nurse, my great grandmother, and my mom was a nurse. She's retired, and and she was this incredible nurse working at a large cancer institute in Southern California. So that just, uh, you know, we're I think we're just naturally helpers. But you know, I've had several ahas, but you know. I think now more than ever with all of the stress of the pandemic and um, just all of it that just really is so heavy and such a heavy burden on, on all of our caregivers and our physicians. I, you know, I've been reflecting on that and, you know, uh, early in my practice as a nurse practitioner, I, um, I was pregnant with my first baby and it was just a really stressful time. And I had a patient who I had seen quite a bit and she was diagnosed with a, a catastrophic diagnosis. And I, um, I really, I didn't want to give up and we tried and we referred and we had second and third and fourth opinions. And I would, I spent a lot of time talking to her, connecting with her, calling her um, and, and, and treating her. And I just, I was beating myself up and I just felt terrible that I, we couldn't fix this. We couldn't find a path through this. Um, and so I was just really just focused on my sense of sort of failure, if you will. And um, she came in for a visit and she had quilted me this beautiful baby blanket. Um, and she gave me this huge hug and she just said, thank you for being there. And it was sort of this aha moment that really, and, and you often hear this, like, Oftentimes when there is no cure, there's always going to be, there can always be healing. And, and my lesson there was you really can't underestimate the power of human connection. And I, I think now more than ever, we really need to focus on that connection with our patients and, and most importantly with each other. So that was really sort of my aha and, and kind of why I continue staying, um, I think, in healthcare. Thanks, Susie. That's, that's such a good story. Uh, Dr. Rosso, how about yourself? When when did you kind of go from, you know, I, I think I want to be a doctor to okay, I'm in it, and this is where I was was meant to be. Yeah, yeah, Susie, that that's great, and I think for me, it's it's very similar. It's about the human connection. You know, I started out as a physician scientist and was in the lab doing basic research, and and that kind of led to collaborations with. Um, cardiologist at the University of Washington. And it was that kind of translational medicine that initially got me interested in, you know, I like, I like this aspect of patient care. And the more I got involved with patient care, I realized, you know what, I, I like taking care of patients and I want to be in the game, you know? And I think for me, the aha moment really came, I'd kind of voiced, um, you know, this interest in clinical medicine over, over research. And, uh, and some, some interns said, oh, hey, we're doing this, this trip to Central America. We're taking the medical team down. Would you like to go with us? And, and in that environment, it really just kind of sealed the deal. Like I just loved interacting with those patients and, and being the boots on the ground, the, the hands, you know, to kind of meet the needs that were there in front of you. And, and I think that's what really inspired me to make that career change, to go back and, and do my, my medical school training and then internal medicine and residency and then fellowship. And, and then from there, I kind of transitioned to interventional cardiology as, as I kind of progressed in my 
career. My wife could always tell I come home and, and she's like, you've been in the cath lab today. You've been doing cases. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I can tell because you are just like always beaming when you, when you come home and you've been in the lab. And, and that kind of, you know, made me think, yeah, you know, she's right. It's, 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 those procedures that, that I really enjoy. And I think it's that kind of evolution, kind of understanding your calling and what your skill set are and the things that you really enjoy that, that makes the long hours. We talked about call, but but when you see it more as a calling or, or a mission than than a job, it becomes easy to do that because it's just what, it's, it's who you are. It's what you love to do. And, and that's um, the thing that I think as I look back and reflect over my career, it's kind of finding that thing that, that's kind of who you are and defines um, you know what you enjoy and what you do and and for me it's certainly that that human connection and kind of taking those skill sets and kind of applying them to meet a a critical need that that's really well said and for those people out there who have had the good fortune not to have to meet an interventional cardiologist could you talk a little bit what you mean by in the cath lab or you know yeah. that type of work yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of joke with my patients and say, you know, I'm really just a glorified plumber. What interventional cardiology does, it's a subspecialty of cardiology where we open up blocked coronary arteries. Um, we do those uh, what we call percutaneously. So instead of open heart surgery, which would be done by a bypass um, a surgery done by a, a cardiothoracic surgeon, we go in through the arteries and we direct what's called the catheter, which is essentially a tube into these blocked arteries. And, and we cross these lesions with a wire and we use um, balloons that go over the wire and stents to kind of open up and reestablish blood flow to coronary arteries, which um, is, is what we're dealing with, for example, in the setting of acute coronary syndrome or a heart attack, a blockage in these blood vessels. Well, great. Thanks for that. And I assume that you do all the plumbing at your house? <laughs> you know, it turns out that uh, the scales don't translate. <laughs> so my, my wife uh, has, a, has a plumber on speed dial for, you know, things around the house. So uh, <laughs> that's probably for the best. Yeah. Okay, folks. Well, let's 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 move into really who's caring for your heart and 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 what a care team looks like. And and Susie, I think that a lot of people would assume that that uh, cardiology treatment or heart care, you know, probably involves a primary care doctor, uh, certainly a specialist like a cardiologist or two. But we know that that doesn't really cover the entire care team when when you talk about the overall group of people that might be taking care of somebody for a particular disease or a condition. Um, maybe talk a little bit about, and it, it doesn't have to be in the ambulatory setting. It could be in the hospital. Really, what, what does a care team look like for your heart? You know, so I, when I think about it, you know, it's really, you know, care. What we say is it's really care across the continuum. So it's really on all of those touch points of service or care that, that a patient receives. So it can be inpatient where you've got your team of physical therapists and your nurses and your uh your nurse, nursing assistants and your physicians and your respiratory therapists. Um, and then, you know, if we look towards, you know, on the ambulatory side, there's really a, a comprehensive um, team that really tries to address all of the needs of our patients holistically. So um, you'll have, as you mentioned, primary care, you'll have um, your cardiology team, maybe some other specialists involved, and then you might have a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant a pharmacist, a behavioral, uh, behavioral health therapist, um, medical assistants um, that really try to pro provide that comprehensive care. And, and I think what's key is that, you know, that either the primary care in tandem with, you know, the specialist, the cardiologist that's taking lead, that they really are that quarterback for that team um, that really help guide and navigate um, with all of those, you know, 
really important team players that really help execute that plan and that strategy, if you will, um, to really provide the best care to our patients. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. So, Dr. Russell, if you think about you, you know the time that you've been a practicing physician, and I know you've you've been in medicine for uh, for two decades and more, how has this changed over the last twenty years or so when we talk about heart care? So, how does a patient's team differ, let's just say today, than what it might have been a few decades ago? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I think that really boils down to the understanding that, that we do work as a team. And we've actually um, kind of defined a new term that we call the heart team. And and that's a group of docs that sit at the table and, and other providers to, to provide that care. Instead of having one physician who's kind of on his own making a decision, for example, here at uh, Providence St. Peter's, we have a, a meeting every Friday with our heart team and we sit down around a table and we talk about complex cases with our cardiothoracic surgeons, our heart failure doctors, our electrophysiologists, our, our interventional cardiologists like myself, all the various subspecialties. And we look at these complex cases from, from many different views to try to figure out the optimal plan for caring for these patients. And I always tell my patients when I say, hey, I'm going to present your case at this uh, complex case meeting with our heart team, you know, it's always better to have several smart people sitting around the table trying to figure out the best plan of care for you than 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 just myself or another doc who's trying to to, to figure out the best thing on our own because there's certainly strength in the team approach and it turns out there's actually data to show that hospitals that incorporate a heart team um, have better outcomes for their patients and that's a real strength that we have here within providence is the ability to meet regularly and discuss these complex cases and one of the things that we've seen in kind of the evolution of cardiovascular disease is with the therapies we have patients are living longer but with that we're seeing much more complex disease than we did even even a year or ten years ago. And how does that how does that resonate with a patient? What you just said in terms of the heart team. I mean, I think that if it was me or if it was my mom or dad, I would love to know that there was a team of specialists that were working on uh, on behalf of of myself or my parents or my friends, and and that um, and that the higher the complexity, the more that would give me comfort. Is that fairly well received? Absolutely. You know, when, when I tell a patient, you know, we've, we've, we've uh, found this on your coronary angiogram and we have a few different options for treatments and we're going to take a pause today and I'm going to present your case. That's always well received. And I think it's exactly that the understanding that, that whenever you have a consensus from people looking at a complex situation from multiple different perspectives, the, the outcomes are going to be better. Um, and, and I think that resonates with the patients and they're appreciative of that kind of thoughtful approach to their care. Well, thanks for that. And I guess as a follow-up question, I mean, most of us know that cardiologists treat heart issues. And probably if, if we've had grandparents or parents that have, that have lived long enough, they, they may have had a cardiologist at one point in their life. But it turns out that there are a lot of different types of cardiologists. Can you maybe take a moment to talk about some of those different types and, and why you might need them? Like why you might need an electrophysiologist, for example, as opposed to an interventional cardiologist as opposed to a heart failure specialist. Yeah, absolutely. And in one of the things that we've been been blessed with over the years in, in cardiology is we have decades and decades of research and the complexities of the field have, have grown um, more significant. And we have studies that, that guide appropriate roles of care in these different subspecialties, such as interventional cardiology or heart failure, to the point where once a cardiologist does his general training, 
in um, in general cardiology, he has the option, or she has the option, to go on and do subspecialty training. For example, myself, I went into interventional cardiology, which is um, working with complex coronary disease. Um, other docs that I work with have decided to go in and work with advanced heart failure. And so they get extra training in the failure of heart failure. A cardiac electrophysiologist is someone who has a subspecialty um, boarding and heart rhythm issues. And I kind of refer to them um, as the electricians of the group. You know, so we've got plumbers, we've got electricians, and then we've got the, the probably the most thoughtful of the group, which are heart failure docs. So, so um, I think it's just as the field's evolved and we get more and more complexities that we're dealing with, um, it kind of lends itself to subspecialization to, to get expertise in these, in these uh, different areas of cardiology. And so do, do patients usually work with one specialist at a time, or is it a more of a combined approach? It kind of depends on the scenario. Um, generally, they have a general cardiologist. And um, you know, all of us here at St. Pete's, we kind of do general cardiology. And if I have a partner, for example, who's not trained in interventional cardiology, and he has a patient that, that uh, needs a, a coronary intervention, then he would refer that patient to me. I would see them in clinic and, uh, and do whatever needs to be done in, in that uh, setting. And then, and then he would go back to see his general cardiologist. Likewise, if I see a patient in my practice who has an electrophysiology issue, and uh, he needs to have a, a procedure done, um, I would send him to an electrophysiologist. And so we, we, we kind of maintain um, that relationship with our patients. But if we see a need for subspecialty um, cardiology care, then we'll send them to that specialist. And then, and then that patient comes back to us. And I think that's important to maintain that longitudinal care with your patient, but to also have the ability to send off to an expert in whatever um, field they need if, if that should arise. Got it. That makes sense. Uh, Susie, you had mentioned earlier sort of a, a laundry list of, of all sorts of different caregivers that take care of, of patients from behavioral health to respiratory therapy, certainly nursing. How's a patient typically introduced to their team? And, and have you found that they are overwhelmed at the number of people that are involved in their care? Or maybe on the flip side, they're comforted that there are so many people involved in taking care of them? You know, I, you know, I mentioned it before. Um, it's so important that really the, either the primary care doctor, if it's the care is being delivered in the primary care setting or with, with um, a cardiology team and the cardiologist, that, that the patient really feels like that their, their, their lead physician is really at the helm and is the quarterback. And really what I've, I've experienced and I've learned and I've, I've uh, really helped to embed and scale what we call team-based care across our clinics is that it's really in how the physician um, sort of introduces the team um, to the patient and their family, that they are truly a part of the team, an extension of, of their practice, um, and, and, and really explains that they're really at the helm and really guiding and navigating that. But there's a whole complement of uh, these excellent professionals that are going to help really provide care to them and their family. So it's, it's really how you know, we set that tone at the beginning that I think helps really form that trust with that patient and the family. That's a really good way to put it. I remember talking to a patient years ago and, and they were they were very amazed in a good way about how many people were involved and, and how good they were at their job when it was approached in the right way, when it was coordinated in the right way. Um, but, you know, going going back to the emotional part of, of a health journey, and, and I, again, I don't care if it's you're afraid of needles and you don't want to get your, your immunization or you've just learned that you have a uh, a chronic condition or even even something like like heart disease or cancer or or, or that that you 
you had your condition treated and, and that you are back on the path to wellness. Susie, how do you help people through that emotional part of their health journey? You know, if, if in some areas we're lucky enough to have um, behavioral health um, support, which is just, it's wonderful. And we know that when we have that resource for our patients and our, and our, and their families that we know health outcomes are better. Um, and so really that's, should be the gold standard. Um, but in the absence where we're resource limited, it's really, you know, training our, our caregivers um, and treating them with the same sort of empathy and compassion that we expect or hope that they'll, they'll give to those patients and their family members that we really have to be intentional about creating those moments of true human connection and, and empathy and really being cognizant and intentional in our interactions to ensure that we're really helping and promoting that healing. Yeah, that, that's so important. Um, and, and as we, we you know, we, we talk about the care team from a patient's perspective, I, I guess, Susie, if you're looking at this from a caregiver's perspective, what's the benefit of working with a, with a cardiac team or working with a care team from a, from, from a caregiver's point of view? Well, I think there's that collaboration um, and learning, right? So they always have those resources and that support. And also I think about, you know, the emotional toll um, and stress, especially when we think about the pandemic, the effects of the pandemic, but also just caregivers in general really can sometimes experience significant loss and stress as they care for our, our patients and their family. Um, that really leaning on each other and connecting with each other and sort of debriefing situations and, and having that support um, it's incredibly powerful. And so there's a lot of value, both just clinically um, and then also emotionally having that, that broader team for support. Yeah. You know, along those lines, I always think that behind a, behind a patient or behind a, a patient population, th there are caregivers and there are care teams and, and those are humans, right? And those are people that, that have good days and bad days. Um, my mom was a physical therapist for the better part of four decades. And there were Thanksgivings when she had to go to work or, or other holidays. And so how do you, I mean, how do you care for yourself? And I'll, I'll ask Susie you first and then, and then ask Dr. Rosso, but you know, how, how do you, how do you step out of that emotion and those long days and all of the things that come with that and then put on a different hat, whether that's a friend or a, a spouse or a, a parent, uh, what, what do you do to stay grounded? You know, there is a lot of um, data and, 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 and recommendations, which are all right around that. We talk about self-care. So really being intentional and perhaps meditating or exercising or um, going on hikes or, or doing things that will really help you decompress. Um, obviously, certainly there's uh, behavioral health support, but what we're also learning is those help, but you know, I, I keep on going back to that human connection and there's a lot of work being done right now around compassion fatigue. And ironically, some of the, you know, the preeminent physician experts in, in this work in compassion fatigue really talk about, you know, leaning in and that human connection being an antidote, if you will, or um, an antidote or providing some of that healing. So it seems sort of counterintuitive because you know, it seems like initially you're like lean in and 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 be more intentional and connect more. Um, but what we find is that that human connection really feeds your soul. And you know, we're, we're finding that peer to peer support and having 
um, either a physician or provider peer leader can really help for a, a provider or a caregiver that's maybe struggling with something that they recently experienced in the uh, work setting, that, that 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 human connection is just so incredibly powerful and can be so healing. You keep on going back to that term human connection. I could not agree more. I think that it is so powerful. Dr. Rosso, how about yourself? How do you, how do you get through those sleepless nights on call or, or those times when you have to deliver bad news to a patient's family? Yeah, yeah, I think that... Uh... You know, making time for yourself is certainly important. I think all of us as caregivers, you have that kind of um, that that drive to kind of be there and there's always something more you can do. But I think equally important is taking that time to kind of pull back um, and decompress a bit and finding that time to to take care of yourself. And, you know, a lot of that is, I, I absolutely agree, is finding that that uh, that connection with family and friends and your support network. Um, you know, personally, I enjoy um, running and exercise and those types of things. And that's kind of my alone time where I can process my thoughts and kind of get away and kind of think through things. Um, you know, whether it's your, your, your church or your family or whatever that support network is, being able to be kind of present in that moment. I mean, one of the things that, that I learned early in my career is it's easy to, to never really turn off, you know, what's going on at work. But but I think, you know, what I've learned more recently is is being intentional about, you know, this is family time. This is time to kind of be away and kind of turn that off for a minute. It helps you to come back more refreshed to the job when you do when you do return. And I think giving yourself the um, the, the kind of okay um, or, or letting yourself know it's okay to, to do that is, is really important. You know, as far as delivering bad news, that's always that's always difficult. That's one of the hardest things that we do as a physician is, you know, I wish we could say that all of our outcomes were good. But with with the complexity and the, the, the critical nature of our subspecialty in cardiology, sometimes that's not the case. And I think the first thing is slowing down and being present. And, and just listening and empathizing with that patient and, uh, and uh, taking your time and not rushing through, um, kind of talking with, with family members and, and giving them that news and, and letting them know that you're there for them and you can empathize. And I think part of patient care is also extended to the family in a situation like that. And, and, and allowing um, space for that is, is critically important. Yeah, that's that's probably the, the idea of taking time for yourself and just time to think or or unplug or do whatever recharges your batteries. It's probably good advice for for any career, right? It's probably good advice mm -hmm. for humanity that we have to remind ourselves to take a pause and take a breath at times. So, well, folks, is there is there anything else about today's topic that we haven't covered that you really want to make sure that our listeners know, or anything that you want to emphasize, uh, Susie? I'll I'll ask you to answer that first. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I was just reflecting on, um, you know, the conversation. I, I think that at Providence, we really do a really great job of really caring for our patients holistically. And I'm really proud of the work we do, especially around our cardiac care and our programs, um, because we really are, are mission mission led and we really focus on that human connection and, and really caring for that patient, and that family. And so. Um, I really think that's been a, a huge key to our success. So, you know, really fortunate to be a part of an organization that really provides that great care. Thanks for that, Dr. Rosso. 
Yeah, that's great. I would kind of echo that with with Susie. I think kind of the the theme for today is 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 the the thought of of your care team. And I think the message to leave with with folks that might be listening is kind of knowing who that that care team is and how to reach out to that team. And that kind of starts with your primary care doc and and uh, kind of preventative medicine and, and screening and and then knowing that if you should need um, cardiology help, you know how to get in touch with that with that person through either referral from your primary care doc or or, um, or self-referrals, whatever the, the case may be. But just kind of knowing the resources that are out there, I think are important for folks to be aware of. And I guess along those lines, if you're just not connecting with the provider that you were referred to, how do you suggest that somebody finds another physician? Yeah, I think that's that's hugely important. I mean, I, I think that there's really an important aspect of that that patient physician relationship. And if you meet a doc that, you know, for whatever reason you're not connecting with that person, it's okay to uh, to ask to to see another uh, partner. A lot of times, talking to the clinic manager, saying, you know, nothing personal against provider, but we just haven't really connected. And I'm wondering if you could refer me to a different provider. And that's absolutely acceptable. If if you don't feel like initiating that through um, the the cardiology clinic manager, you can certainly go back to your primary care doctor and say, hey, you know, I didn't connect with that person and, and, and ask for a different referral. And, and we certainly in our practice would, would accommodate that. Well, Susie, Dr. Rosso, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you, Matt. It's been a real pleasure being here. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on this important topic on Heart Matters. We look forward to continuing the important conversation on heart health and wellness with more experts from Providence in future episodes. Make sure you listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under Future of Health Radio or your favorite podcast platform and follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our missions, programs, and services, go to Providence.org. And for more information on Boston Scientific, visit BostonScientific.com. And please remember, the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult your healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you. Thank you.